Thank you so much for being here today. Today we're speaking with Jos van der Westeysen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Remio VR. So before starting Remio, Jos completed a PhD in machine learning. And Remio is all about the Red Room for Remote Team Building Activities in VR. So to give a little bit more of context, I want to say Remio has been working with 40 of the major companies, including Trello, Netflix, Google, that sounds super exciting. And recently, they were able to raise 4.5 million in seed round investment to take Remio even further. Thank you so much, Jos, for being here today. And please let us know why Remio and what's the story behind. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Diana. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, a bit about uh, a bit about Remio and how it started. Uh, basically, right after my PhD, uh, a friend and I started a company in machine learning. So it was actually a company called Crystallic, and it did automatic note taking. And the important ingredient or thing here was that in this was during 2019, we were a fully remote team. And having a passion for VR since the end of undergrad, uh, we decided, hey, because we're fully remote, let's try and have uh, everyone join in VR to have a sort of team building session so that we could get that feeling of being in the same place, even though we're a fully distributed team. And uh, we, we went ahead and tried this. But the first thing we realized is that it's really, really hard to get a group of people, the same people like a team, into the same spaces in VR. So we tried a couple of games like Rec Room, for example, uh, Top Golf, which is now Golf Plus, and, and many others. But every time it took us about half an hour to get our whole team into the same space. And uh, that's sort of where the idea the idea of the problem started for us. We realized, okay, it's, it's not these experiences in VR aren't necessarily catered for business teams to have these sessions. Um, and then a couple of months went by. Crystallic was still uh, sort of growing, but not at the pace that we were expecting it to grow. So after a few more discussions with our investors, we decided to call it quits. Uh, and right as we as we stopped this, we we knew about this problem in VR. And uh, both Derek, my co-founder, and I had this passion to build uh, this product that would solve this issue for remote teams. And that's sort of where it started. Uh, and basically, since then, a couple of things that really clicked for us is that VR is actually very good at getting people to feel as though they're in the same place. And it's really good at games as well. So Combining those two for business teams, you immediately get something that looks a lot like team building. Um, and so we doubled down on team building and, and basically fast forward a couple of months, we were able to pilot the, the product with a couple of big customers like Iterable and Fast. And uh, a couple more months went by and a lot of other customers noticed uh, how good the product is for doing these remote team sessions. And yeah, that's brought us pretty much to today where we've been fortunate to work with clients like you've mentioned before, like Google, Trello, and Netflix. Thank you so much. That's uh, such a great um, introduction for us. So how was a little bit more of the process at the beginning? How were maybe those challenges or those situations that came in the way? How did you um, overcome them as a, as a team? What can you tell us about the actual journey of building the app? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. I don't have a, a very uh, summarized uh, recollection of this, but there are a couple of a couple of problems and pitfalls that we still run into today that I, I'm sure a lot of other startups and development teams go through. 
But one of the things we'd actually learned in the previous startup was to to keep it as nimble as possible. So you want to you want to sort of develop as little as possible before you test it with a customer, right? And and we like to the to the bone like followed this uh, narrative. We would, for example, not always code up all of our own um, solutions. We would sometimes use some other apps to try and use that for team building to see what worked well, what didn't. Uh, and we sort of went on this way with like developing our own product on the side while very quickly testing it with customers from the from the very start. So we probably took you know three weeks of development or our first VR app before getting it into the customers' hands, and it's been the same way since. So now we release every two weeks, and we immediately try to get the new features in front of customers to see how they react. And I think that's a very important part and something that you might not do uh, if it's like purely your first product that you're releasing. So it's a big lesson we learned with the first startup. Uh, let me see what else. There's a lot of, if I could go back in time now, there's a couple of other uh, problems we we, um, we sort of ran into unexpectedly, which is um, obviously you, you struggle in hiring the perfect people at the start. So we made some mistakes with our first couple of hires, which meant that we had a product and also Derek and myself built the first product and we aren't like necessarily VR experts or coding experts. So there, we made a couple of mistakes and sort of the product just grew into this big thing that was built on top of early mistakes. Uh, so probably about six months in when we got some really good, uh, good VR development experts, uh, they told us like, Hey, this, we need to completely rewrite this whole thing to, to get to the level of where you want to go. Uh, and basically, yeah, that's what we did. So we had to spend while we had the product in front of customers, uh, this sort of broken version, we had to spend another two or three extra months to rewrite the whole thing uh, and get it in a, in a good working order. And I'm not 100%. I have, we haven't been in the startup journey long enough to know all of the issues that are going to come. But I, I do know that this like um, development debt is a big one. And we still run into some of those issues today. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So... Is it fair to say that you come mostly from a technical background? You know, you have a PhD in machine learning. Would you consider that so? Yes, very much. Yeah, because my question would be, how is it or how challenging it is to come from this technical background and then having to actually manage a company, you know, or like <laughs> an actual, you know, a startup or like a business? Um, a solution for clients. How, how is that? Like, how did you balance that? Is it challenging or, or how is it? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely challenging. And I, I don't think I'm necessarily the right person to reflect on that because you should probably ask my team how that is doing instead of just me looking from sort of the outside. Um, but yes, it was certainly, there were a couple of changes. I think for everyone who's going to go on, on a similar journey, uh, most of the people who tend who plan to go on a similar journey sort of just need to reflect a little and uh, decide if if the sort of wearing multiple hats is something that they can do, they have done before or tried before. Working with people is something they enjoy. Uh, I do think there's a lot of other people out there, similar to me, who come from a technical background, really enjoy the technical stuff, but can also sort of, you know, work with people, manage people, try out sales. They're sort of interested in... in um, trying out all the different areas that you have to be good at as a, as a manager, CEO, business person. Um, and definitely, uh, I guess a lot of that, even though there's a lot of things you struggle with, uh, the sort of the passion for, for making the solution is the one thing that drives you to literally do whatever it takes to, uh, to get it to work. Yeah. Amazing. 
what's the number one skill that you feel that is absolutely necessary to to undertake very well like a project like this <laughs> uh the, the absolute oh that's a tricky one on the spot but i would say the first one that comes to mind is be sort of a continual learner uh So always be like the skill you should develop is to really, really learn effectively and always seek ways to learn, uh, whether it's like in the way you pitch to VCs, whether it's the way you run your team, whether it's the way you hire, whether it's the way you build a product, how you learn from customers. I would say that the core skill really is like learning. And, and you also want to, uh, one, one way there's this good quote by, I think, Franklin Roosevelt about, um, experience is the best teacher of all and only And it's the only teacher for some fools. So the, a lot of people only learn through like trying it themselves and then learning, um, like after seeing what the results are. And that, that's an okay way to learn, but an even better way to learn is to learn from other experts. So read a lot about, uh, what other people have done. Try to sort of read or learn the lesson before you actually go through it. Uh, is the, the thing we try to do, but it's always hard to do. Awesome. Thank you so much. In your statement, you mentioned teaching, you know, VCs and uh, having these skills to actually showcase the value of the creation and why they should invest in you. Could you give us tips on how is that you find these places or how do you, you know, go through the process? And so, so, you, so in order to raise, raise money, which is very important. Yeah, there's, There's a long detailed description, which I won't go into now, but I'll, I'll try to give the high level points <clears throat> and you can ask any, any deeper questions from there. But the first, the first place to start really at a high level is instead of going out to ask for money, first go out to just ask for advice. So think about all the, the friends you have who are successful founders, uh, who might be connected to good VCs. Think of all the VCs that you don't necessarily want to pitch to, but you want to get their advice, mentors, et cetera, and then go to them. Get their advice on your, your pitch deck. So obviously you've already prepared some pitch deck. Um, get their advice on your whole process, who you should target, et cetera. Uh, that's like step one. Step two, which sort of goes hand in hand is you have to definitely set out a process. So the one mistake a lot of founders make, I made this myself as well, is you think, oh, you can run the company and do fundraising at the same time. Very much not true. <laughs> Even if you think you're the best <clears throat> productivity person in the world, it, it won't happen. But, uh, You basically have to set out a, a certain amount of time and set a process for trying to get uh, all the introductions you can to the VCs and then do the pitches and then run through the process. And it's very likely that you'll get a lot of no's. With our first startup, we got probably about 40 to 50 no's before we got our first yes. Um, and, and that's just the game of, of pitching. You'll have to be able to accept a lot of no's, uh, keep focused, and then, then going for it again. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's such a great advice. So speaking about money, if you had the opportunity to have 100 million tomorrow, what would you do with that? Further develop revenue in what direction or start a new uh, venture? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, 100 million is significant, but I don't think it's significant to the level where you can uh change a lot of so yeah change a lot of things but that's a whole other philosophical discussion so first question yes i'll definitely continue building remio with 100 million mm -hmm. um so if, if someone wants to give that to us that we'll go ahead the there's a lot of things to uh to improve here so for example with remio um which uh sort of a lot of other people in the space are also actively pursuing is giving 
your customers the power, right? Giving them the, the power to do what they want to do. And that's something we've started doing in Remio, but it needs a lot of hands, a lot of work. Um, and that's, that's pretty much if we get that money, that's what I would spend it on is really give all of our business customers the, the ability to like, firstly, securely, uh, and with the right privacy settings, build anything that they want to build. Um, yeah, that, that they're pretty much their imagination could, could conjure up. Um, there's still a lot of improvement to do in the VR space, especially with software products. I think the, the standard for software products is in VR is just, just acceptable at the moment. And there's a lot more we can do to make it way better. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. So it seems that you want to uh, improve in Rimeo the ability for the users to create their own content, right? Uh, how is that? Right now, I know there is puzzles and this type of activities in Rimeo. If you can expand more on that, that would be amazing. But let us know how do you want to improve it specifically further. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, starting with the current set of things that people can do in there. So there are, yeah, as you mentioned, puzzles, escape rooms. We also have, for example, paintball, archer, tower defense. We have hide and seek. We have a a bar in VR. We're going to release versions of disc golf, normal golf, bowling soon. Um, And the thing that we always run into with all of the customers we get when when we're in there with them is they immediately tell us like, oh, what if you put a balloon there and a catapult here and you could shoot me with a catapult to the balloon, uh, for example. So they always have these crazy ideas uh, and we simply don't have enough manpower to just build all of it. So what we would want to do instead is just give them the tools to make these fantastic experiences, these these weird things that uh, people think of and, and literally just give it to the sort of the power of the people to make it, um, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. That... I was checking, of course, uh, the app. It's so fun. And uh, in the website, you explain very well all of these type of activities. Um, is it suitable for any type of business, really? Like uh, for any type of teamwork or does it, or is it specifically for enterprise or what are you feeling? Yeah, at, uh, at the moment, it definitely caters to any type of company. Uh, the companies who we mostly get are, for example, tech-based companies, um, like the, the ones in our list of customers. Uh, yeah, so I would say it's it's any type of team. We also, the thing we focus on is we try to have such a wide variety of things that teams can do that there's always something for someone to do. For example, if, if someone doesn't like paintball, um, there's a different activity like escape rooms or hide and seek that they can go try out. And we want to keep expanding that to always be able to cater to uh, all the different needs that, that come across the board. Oh, thank you. How was assembling the team? Like you, you begin the the process, and then you were yes, like we have these uh, people yeah. that is in the field. But how did you exactly, for example, got one, which is a one central topic here in the podcast design? You know, like how did you get your experts in design? How did you enter the process? Yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest, design is one of the things that my co-founder and I have sort of, uh, we have taken that on ourselves since the start. We're not the best designers, but we, we are very close to the customer. So we know how to design the features that, that they need. And we've made sure to get, to keep good communication with the, the solid tech team and that. Uh, yeah, assembling the team at the start was tricky. Um, I don't know if we necessarily took the right, right approach, but here's sort of what happened at the start. 
we uh, look for the sort of the usual way startups look for people is you post a job on AngelList, you go to Upwork, you go to Fiverr, you try to find people in that. We did a lot of active outreach. So we would find someone who we think is good, reach out to them, do an interview, see if they're the right fit, and then basically proceed from there. Uh, and this worked to some degree, but what really started working was when we tapped into our networks. So um, luckily, uh, sort of since the end of undergrad, I'd kept in touch with uh, the, the VR or XR community and made a couple of friends along the way. Uh, and also Cambridge University is quite an international place. So that meant a lot of people sort of from Poland, from Ukraine, uh, everywhere from everywhere really come study there. Uh, and after getting our first few hires through the, the sort of very manual approach, we looked at our own networks um, and tried to ask like for the second connection, like, hey, there's this person I see in your network. Could you maybe introduce me? And yeah, basically that's how we got a few of our very good first hires. Um, and then, yeah, from, from there on, like once you're a team of the size we're about now, um, there's still a lot of that like angelist recruiting posting um, mechanisms, but also because we have a strong team now, they also have recommendations of people that they want to bring on board and work with. Um, yeah. Thank you. Speaking about this aspect, you know, at the, after assembling the team, you know, building the app, how did you actually bring revenue to people? Like how did, were you able to get on board Trello, Netflix, Google? How did you do that? Yeah, yeah, very good question. So with uh, the first like four customers, they were pretty much all from our own network again. So I think a lot of startups do this. You would find a friend who works at a company. What we basically did was, we had a little blurb to, to describe what the company does. And we sent this to a couple of our friends who worked in the bigger companies and asked them to send it to their HR leaders. Uh, we probably sent out about a hundred of those and of a hundred, four came back and said, Hey, yes, we want to, we want to do this. And this was very early days. So we didn't have anything yet. Uh, and, and so we would do these, these sessions with the teams. We would do it very uh, sequentially. So not all at once because we want to learn from each one and try to improve with the next one. And yeah, that was basically the early set of customers. And by the time we got to the fourth, uh, there was already, because you're doing a whole team at a time. So let's say a team of 20 in our session, uh, they have wives or, or husbands. And, uh, we're, if, if it's a good experience, if it's a product people love, we're very quickly spreads and we found that immediately. So basically from our fourth sort of, uh, uh, warm customer, we just went on to a lot of word of mouth spread and that's, that's pretty much how we got Netflix and Trello. They, um, it was from other companies, someone at another company who had used Remio who had then told one of the people and it just got into those companies. Thank you so much. Yeah. Amazing. I, I noticed at some point you mentioned 100 million would be a small amount. <laughs> so my next question would be, what is the full, full, full vision? It doesn't matter the money. Like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a great question. Um, so up to now, we've sort of planned out realistically for, you know, the next five, five years and the next 10 to 15 years. There's definitely going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of hardware iteration that's going to happen in the meantime. And sort of, you have to time your, you have to plan your software development to be in sync with that. And one thing one investor always tells me is that the hardware development is always going to be slower than you expect, uh, which is true. So I think if you had unlimited money, uh, we would definitely spend it on actually hardware development as well. We think, you know, 
Uh, Pico and Oculus or Meta are doing a great job, but there's need for an extra competitor in the space for sure. And with unlimited money, you could definitely sort of give them give them a run for the money, uh, develop very lightweight headsets that do everything you want to, right? So perfect, perfect, crystal clear vision, as good as a, a Mac screen plus uh, the ability to track not only your face, but actually parts of your body as well, just from that single pair of glasses, uh, have the like, you know, full AR capabilities. And once you have that, the door really opens because then it's like a new computing platform. And that's really sort of, I think a lot of people in the XR space believe in that, that long-term vision where this becomes a replacement for a lot of things we do. And so it sort of becomes a, a replacement for a screen in a lot of our, the things we do in life. So you work on this like weird, um, multi, multi-faced uh, screen environment that's just small uh, a small device on your head and, and you can take it wherever you go and the best thing is it's sort of like an office in your pocket you could you could take your whole team you could be with your whole team wherever you are um, and that's pretty much the beauty of it for us so if it, if we had unlimited money we'd build towards that that vision of the hardware that's perfect plus this like all-encompassing software yeah amazing so is it correct to assume the hardware is going to be moving towards mixed reality, right? Is it correct to assume or not necessarily? They are going to continue to be separated um, ways to uh, to experience it. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm not 100% sure. I, I used to have strong opinions on this. So in it, my initial thoughts on this would be that people would have two headsets, right? So you'd have a, a heavier, bigger one for moments when you want to get more immersed uh, and then you'd have lighter ones for moments where you want to walk outside, but still have like a lot of these AR capabilities. And to some degree, I still believe that because you can see it today as well. We have our laptops and computers, but we also have TV screens. So you have like these two modes and you also have phones, right? So you have multiple ways to interact. Uh, yeah. So I think potentially, I, I don't think it's going to be one device. I think you'll have like two separate ones. So that, does it mean your plan is to keep Remu in VR or would you like to, you know, develop it further if possible in the future with also some sort of capability where it's used with lighter hardware? Yeah, definitely, definitely want to support lighter hardware in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think this is essential for, for like workplace scenarios. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily want to wear a heavy thing all the time. Yeah. And also uh, with with the proper AR capabilities, you could definitely get uh, a lot of what you're getting from VR right now. So, yeah, e- even with the like, let's let's take that scenario as true, where you have two separate uh, two separate headsets. I still think the VR headset will still have pass through, so you'll still be able to do AR with your VR headset, and you'll still be able to do almost VR with your AR headset because it'll be good enough to sort of have um, a lot of that experience with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. And finally, coming back to something that we discussed at the beginning. Um, what would be, because you speak spoke about um, the importance of learning, like continuous learning. So what would be yes. your best recommendations in terms of books, movies, and whatever type of content for people who is getting started in this field, just like you? Uh, so for, sorry, just repeat that again for books or? Yeah, books, movies, any type of content that you feel or podcasts that you feel that have been, you know, very, very good for you in your journey 
and that may be related to this field too. So what yes, are your yes. recommendations? Uh, the first one that pops to mind in terms of podcasts is uh, this podcast called Acquired. It's quite good. They do like very deep dives into some of the notable, um, I guess, companies and people of our time. So for example, Berkshire Hathaway, they have one on Taylor Swift even, which is pretty cool. Uh, so that, that's one of the good ones for me. And then definitely a lot of books. So I, every, every year that I reflect on, on my, like the previous year, what I'd done, I always feel like I didn't read enough. Uh, and all the notable or like people that I admire in life are like read, read a ton. Uh, but the, the book that I'd probably recommend is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, that's definitely for startup. It's been one of the best books to read. And what else? Oh. This one has a weird name, but is also very, very good. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People has also been very impactful in my life. Um, and yeah, even though the title is slightly off-putting, I'd highly recommend everyone read that book. It'll make the world a better place if everyone did. Wow. Amazing recommendations. Thank you so much. You've been so kind and it's been so fun to learn from you, from the team of Renew VR. And uh, so we're, of course, inviting everybody to visit Renew VR. It's available in Oculus, right? In what other platforms is it available? Yes, on Oculus and on Pico. Oh, okay. Amazing. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wish I had asked you today, Jones? Uh, there's... There's one other <laughs> one other thing that I'd like to share, which I sort of sort of learned at the end of my PhD. Um, sorry, the question would be, what is the the one thing you'd recommend to other people uh, as a tip? Um, and and this one is sort of just on top of mind at the moment. But the basically in the last year of my PhD, I had heard um, something from Elon Musk where he said, you know, if you work a hundred hour uh, hundred hour week, you're going to complete double what someone does in a, in a 50 hour week, which makes a lot of sense. So that whole year I worked hundred hour weeks. Uh, and at the end of the year, when I look back, I sort of realized like, okay, that was sort of, sort of good, but, uh, it didn't feel as sort at the same time, looking back, I realized like there's a lot of things I could have done more efficiently that I could have done. So I could have done the whole year in like a quarter of the time, pretty much. Uh, and that's where it sort of dawned on me that, uh, you get the, the amount of time you, anyone can work is always capped. Uh, so, People can only work about 100 hours a week. That's that's a cap. Um, but the amount of things you can do per hour is unlimited. So if you're extremely smart and extremely efficient, you can do what one person does in 100 hours, you can do in one hour. So since then, I've sort of uh, changed the way I work to uh, work like a, a normal day, so an eight to nine hour day. And then the rest of the day, I'd always spend just on finding ways to make myself more efficient the next day. And that could be anything. That could be learning a new skill, mastering a new tool, reading more about a specific topic, planning. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to make yourself more efficient. So yeah, that's the, the one sort of story I'd just like to share. Thank you so much. I really appreciate particularly uh, these additional elements that you bring to, to, the, to the topic that you're discussing, which is personal development, you know, sort of like that. Yeah. How we can... This is totally applicable, not just for someone willing to begin a company, but also for anyone who is at, at a school like you taking a PhD or anybody. So it's really highly appreciated that. Thank you so much, Josh. Pleasure. Yeah. And thanks a lot for your time. So 
if anybody wants to contact you or have any, we never know, maybe the 100 million are around the corner <laughs> for you. <laughs> how, where, how can somebody get a hold of you? Or yeah, I, yeah, definitely. So um, they can definitely get in touch through our website. I'm always listening to all the emails that come through. And then also um, they can always reach out on LinkedIn. I usually try to respond pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then they can always find me in Remio. I'm usually popping around somewhere in the public rooms. For sure. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. We really appreciate all your time and your kindness at sharing your journey and even your own personal development uh, advice. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye.